0: So of course we're at Ephesians chapter 1, if you would turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 1, and it's been a couple of Sundays since we've been in Ephesians, context is one of the most important, if not the most important thing to interpreting any section of the Bible, and so we want to take a moment and get a running start into this situation. Of course the greeting we might not necessarily need to cover, we understand that Paul is writing. If you will remember some of the background information that we saw is that Paul wrote this, but it seems that this letter was actually something that was distributed amongst different churches. And as a church received this letter, they would just simply write their name in, pass it on, copy it, and hand it to the next church so they could write their name. And in fact, if you read through the book of Colossians, you'll find that it mentions a letter to the Laodiceans that the Colossians should read. Uh, the book of Colossians and Ephesians were written at the same time while Paul was on house arrest in prison. And so you find that there's this commonality that goes on and the themes uh, that go on in between it. Uh, Ephesians has more to do with the riches that are available to the saints in Christ Jesus. And Colossians has more to do with exalting Jesus Christ as the end all be all and beginning of all things. And so you put both of those together, you got a pretty incredible picture uh, on your hands. Well, if this letter to the Ephesians was actually meant by Paul as the Laodicean letter, you put both of those things together, you see why that would make sense. So we're going to start here in verse 3 as we start jumping into the letter, and this begins an incredible barrage of grace. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, remember, that is past tense, okay, who has blessed us. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I must ask this question. How rich are you? Thank you. Uriah, you are so loud, man. I love it. He believes it. Get it. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You lack nothing. In him, you are never inadequate. That alone is worth holding on to in this world. You have it all. Where are these riches located? In Christ, that's where they are. So now, we've covered verses 15 and 16. Let's look at them real quick. For this reason too, because you have every spiritual blessing and they're all in one place in Christ and you are in Christ by faith. Having heard of the faith, uh uh-oh, I got to get my pen going. Hold on, my pen doesn't want to work. Aha, what color we want today? green. How does that look? Can everybody see that? Okay, great. Mitch, if for some reason online folks say they can't see it, just let me know. So notice, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love. So they had a a characterized, a, a reputation that was going on in their body, and it's the idea for one another, for all the saints. They were known for being faithful, looking out at what could be, and moving forward with the conviction that it should be. And also that they had this agape, this selfless love that expected nothing in return going on in their body. I do not cease to give thanks for you, so thanksgiving is the idea for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. Prayer is asking of God. And now here is the focus of what it is, and this is the reason why we have it out on here. Because this is such a vitally important game changer. For all of eternity, as far as every single person within the hearing of my voice could possibly have in their possession. It's been sitting here in the pages of Scripture for years and years and years. But this will actually revolutionize everything that God would ever do in our lives. Watch this. What is the prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that it doesn't say Father. Don't get tripped up by that. And here's the reason why. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Eternally speaking. So even though he is equally God as well as the Holy Spirit, he's always chosen to take on a submissive role. Sometimes this is used with a particular Greek word called hupotasso. And that is to voluntarily desire to bring yourself underneath the authority and the headship of another. Now it's not that Jesus is inadequate, inept, uh, inferior in any way, nothing like that. But there's this model that is set forward of Jesus is looking to live a life and this is why he was one of the reasons why he was incarnated on earth. He's looking to live a life of which you and I can look at and understand the qualities that ought to be true of our lives because Jesus is doing nothing but living in complete submission to the Father. You're probably familiar with such phrases as I didn't come to do my will but the will of the Father. And sometimes we sit back and we're like, oh, isn't he God? If he's God, how come he's not doing his will? Because he's, can, he get, can he do God's will? And Why is it the Father's? The reason, it's not because they have different wills, conflicting wills or anything like that. It's because he is modeling an attitude of submission. What God says goes. And when he says it, I fall in and file in under that category. And that's how I move forward with my life. So don't get tripped up in that idea there. Is he very much the God of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, absolutely. But when we talk about that, we're talking about the idea of authority. And Jesus is choosing to take on submission. We will see more of this in chapter 5 when we get there in 2031. Notice also that He is the Father of glory. Why is that? Because glory is, and I'm going to spell this wrong, Hey, you know what? At least you told me. Thank you. I mean, you guys just could have giggled and let me get to the end and be like, we didn't see a thing. You could have done that. Not that I would expect you guys to do that at all, but there we go. Okay. By the way, this says authority. That says submission, just so you guys know. That doesn't help anything. Moving on. Why is that? Because glory is... The chief end and I always look at that, I.E. after C plus B, I don't know. Glory's the chief end. Everything, when it culminates at the very end of all history, is going to have one common denominator in the whole thing, and it was always the goal from beginning to end. God gets all the glory. See, this is what's interesting, is people will live their entire lives in rebellion against God. They'll hear the gospel, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave. They'll say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. There's nothing bad with it. It's just that they really love self. But in doing that and casting it away, and they end up in a situation of the lake of fire, we still see that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth. Which is interesting because it tells you where hell's located. So you would have lived your entire life in rebellion against God, be unbelieving, die, be in hell, and one day will still have to admit in complete truthfulness and self-exposure laid bare in all of eternity, my knee has to come to the ground because Jesus Christ is worthy. See, that's what's interesting about that. So when we talk about all things moving towards glory, if you don't believe, yes, that's tragic. I would hope that we wouldn't want anybody that we know at all to end up in the lake of fire. Absolutely. But that's why we go and we share the gospel with people. This is why Grace goes and she shares the gospel with people. Because people are worth it. Jesus died for people. But in doing so, ultimately what's going to happen, regardless of what people do in their response to the gospel, he will still get glory at the end. He gave a way of salvation, and people chose not to be there, chose tonight, whatever. So glory is the end. But notice what he asks for Here is the, that left side, killing me. Here's the asking, here's the prayer. That God would give you a spirit of A, wisdom, and B, revelation in, and this is huge, we're going to deal with both of these separately here. Give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The idea of spirit. Some of your translations you might be looking through, you brought your own Bible or something, and it will have maybe spirit there has a capitalized S. And it's because the translators believed it was moving towards the Holy Spirit. I don't know that that's the way that we should handle it because in verses 13 and 14, we just got done seeing all these incredible blessings that are rolling out from the Spirit that are already ours. So this isn't something that we need to get spirit-wise because it's not talking about the Holy Spirit endowing us with those things. But instead, this idea of spirit would be that we would cultivate as a church, and here's the thing about Ephesians. Remember, he's not writing to individuals. He's writing to, to the body at large. He's writing to an entire church of people. That we would have amongst us a characteristic or a quality that is developed in a certain way. Now, the first thing that he brings up here is the idea of wisdom and also revelation. Wisdom, you're probably familiar with this. Maybe even you named your kid or your cat this, Sophia, okay? Notice it's the capacity to understand and to act. It's the idea of being prudent. It's the idea of my mind isn't just filled with all of this knowledge about it. It's actually trickled into the heart and it's taken effect to where I can no longer remain the way that I am or make the same decisions I always have instead A quality is what Paul is asking of God for these people that they would develop, and not just an understanding, but an acting upon that understanding. It's knowledge applied is what it is. It's probably the best way to understand it there. But he also brings up this idea of revelation. Is that like the book of Revelation? Well, it's the same word, absolutely. It's apocalypsis. You probably could say, well, apocalypse. We get that from our English word apocalypse, absolutely. But what does the word mean? The word means to be uncovered, to unveil. Uh, ta-da, that kind of thing. You know, maybe somebody's pulling back the curtain. You know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Everybody remember that from Wizard of Oz? Okay, five of years sleep. That's great. Um, notice it's the idea of making fully known. Uh, Harold Honer, who probably wrote the most incredible commentary on Ephesians. Some hidden thing or mystery of God. Now watch this, because this is dead on. That is unveiled by God. And it cannot be discovered by human investigation. Which means everything that Paul is praying for them, and because we are a body of believers in Jesus Christ, for us as well, this is applicable, is the fact that it must be spiritual in nature to take place. God wants spiritual realities coming out of this. Okay, I get that. Why is that a big deal? Here's the reason why. Because if you had to sit down with a piece of paper and list out the top ten things that you've been praying lately, you'd be hard pressed to find a spiritual request of God. There's plenty of people that got sickness. There's plenty of people who've been in the hospital. There's plenty of people that have got broken bones. There's plenty of people that are getting older. There's plenty of people who had new babies. You guys had a new baby. You want to like hold the baby up in victory or anything like that? And look, he fits right in. He's sleeping during my sermon too. It's fantastic. But there's all kinds of prayer requests that we have, let's be honest, that are regulated in the category of the physical. And if you read the New Testament, you would find some of that. But the spiritual would absolutely overshadow an eclipse the physical. And I think this is one of the greatest problems in American churches. is we have no problem bringing the physical before the Lord, but sometimes we don't even think to bring the spiritual before the Lord. Now God is spirit. He desires to be worshipped in spirit and truth. And here's one thing that we have to remember. God's word is without error. And it's also inspired by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So if that is the case, this isn't just Paul's request because he felt this is what that church needed. This is the Holy Spirit overshadowing Paul and carrying him along to unfold this truth. To say, you know what church, this ought to be probably part of your repertoire when you come before the Lord and ask of him as well. This is a prayer that we need, period. So, it's important for us to unfold exactly what it is. We need wisdom? Yes. We need God to pull back the veil, to uncover and to lay something open for us to understand? Absolutely. But here is the kicker of all of this. In. So, these things are going towards this. And here's what's interesting. If you have a New American Standard, I don't know about other translations, but if you look in the margin of your Bible, And you're looking at verse 17 here, and you'll probably see there in mine, i got knowledge, i got the number one next to it. And I go over into my my margin, and it says there, or, what do you have? True knowledge. Now, is that opposed to false knowledge? We know that Paul wouldn't say a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the false knowledge of him. That's not what we're talking about. What does it mean to have true knowledge? And that's where this word right here is absolutely critical. I was tempted to pull out literal word, okay, but I'm not going to. But if you don't have the literal word app, download it and check this word out and and look at it. This word, see here, understanding knowledge. This word is epignosis. For the longest time, I said epignosis, and then I asked somebody who knew Greek to pronounce it for me, and they said epignosis. So just think of a pig in the middle of it. You won't go wrong in pronouncing it. Let's all try it together, because that sounds awkward and fun at the same time. Epignosis. Let's try it. Epignosis. There we go. See? You're all scholars. It's fantastic. I love it. Epignosis. The main lexicon that people use, translate this as just knowledge of something, just getting information, or recognition, an acknowledgement of something being there or something being true. This word is brought up 20 times in the New Testament, but 15 of those is brought up by Paul. So 75% of the time, he wants to use this in order to communicate a particular thing. Not everyone sees this in such a plain manner, is that. And here's the reason why. The word is a combination of two words in the Greek. You need to know this, there will be a quiz. The first one is gnosis. And the definition of gnosis is a comprehension or an intellectual grasp of something. We can all get that. We all gather that. That's just how we're wired to do that. But This epi is a prepositional prefix, and it intensifies the main word. So when you take epi and you grab it onto this word, it's like hooking up electricity and bringing more out of it. We've got to understand a greater thing about this. It's a big deal, okay? Here's the reason why. On its own, epi by itself means on or upon. Now you could put this together and you say, on knowledge, upon knowledge? Is that what we're talking about? Context determines meaning. Now just to give you some nerdy guys, understanding knowledge some more, the guy who wrote a commentary, Melik, he notes, the compound form heightens the definition. In Greek, prefixed prepositions may be either directive, pointing to a specific knowledge, or perfective, emphasizing an accurate knowledge. Now, here's the thing. Regardless of which one it is, does everybody see how it might be the same thing? The idea of having a specific knowledge so it's a little bit more detailed and I'm a little bit more intimately familiar with it, or an accurate knowledge. Well, the more intimately familiar you get with some things, the more accurately you understand it. Would everybody agree with that? Okay, great. Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is spiritually uplifting. One of my favorite guys, weast says, it's a knowledge that is true, accurate, thorough, or a full knowledge. So when it talks about a true knowledge of something, it's not talking about true as opposed to false. It's talking about knowing it so well, know it like the back of my hand type thing. It's talking about being so readily familiar with it that it's unquestionable if you were to be asked about it. Linsky, I like this guy. He says, the knowledge which really apprehends God True realization in the heart and not merely that of the intellect. Or we would say for the believer in Christ, it's not just having a head knowledge about a situation, it's having a heart knowledge about the situation. Let me give you some examples here of how Paul used it. And we're going to look at two instances where he uses them in a prayer so that we have the same author, same situation, two churches, how this works. Turn with me please to Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at 9 through 11. And he's got a prayer that he's going to deal with here. And paying attention to the contents of it is incredibly important. So notice how he starts. And this I pray. This I ask. That your love may abound, so this is agape, selfless love expecting nothing in return, may abound. And that's the idea of up, up, up. It's the idea of having above and beyond more than you could possibly have. Still, more and more in, look how they described it here. Epignosis. The real knowledge and all Discernment, writing to believers, bringing up qualities of love that needs to abound, the more and more gives you like a, almost like a step stool kind of thing, stepladder kind of thing, up, up, up. But notice what it's in. It's in an accurate, thorough, real, deep, precise knowledge. Even some people have gone as far as to say, it's when you know about God and you can so discern what God is doing that you begin experiencing God in your daily life. Henry Blackaby wrote that book, Experiencing God. That'll bring fear on Christians. Why? Because it's actually trusting him. I know that sounds real like, well, that's kind of a toast way to say it. It's true. Sometimes when I talk to believers, and I don't know that it's anybody here, so don't read into this, but you sometimes wonder if you're talking about the same Jesus with people. Because Jesus is... Able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask and think. And that sounds real good on paper, but I'm living life and I'm trying to pay my mortgage to take care of the sick kid. Stop! There's not a separation there. So this is the idea of, Lord, if I could ask anything of the Philippian church, it's that their selfless love without expectation would grow and abound and explode more and more in a certain direction, which is a greater accurate knowledge and having discernment, being aware. Notice how it moves on here. So that, why would that matter for him to ask that of God? So that you may approve the things that are excellent. That is the discernment. So many Christians are getting hoodwinked by things because they have no discernment today. This whole social justice movement that's run out there. Well, we got to get out there and help poor people. Cool. Did you tell them about Jesus because they're fed, but they're hellbound? That's not cool. Jesus is not pleased. Well, we've got to build a relationship. Fine. But pull the trigger and tell them about Christ. Stop being gun-shy about the gospel. Because we're not really doing the Lord's work if that's the matter. They have to know about Jesus or they don't go to heaven. That is the one requirement. And it's the one thing that we kind of leave on the shelf, but we'll get to it eventually. Trust me, the Lord wants to open the doors. Ask that of Him. So, the idea of approving the things that are excellent, being discerning about what is the things that God would have you to do, in order to be sincere, notice, to be. You know what that tells me? It tells me, number one, I just spit all over my screen. Number two, to be sincere, future, it's future, This is what needs to happen as a result of this if it takes place. So if your love abounds still more and more in the epignosis and discernment where you approve excellent things, it's going to lead to a future result of some sort. To sincere and blameless, without fault. I'm so glad you can't see that on the screen. Wow, that's gross. All right. If you only knew what went on up here. (laughs) Until, everybody see that? That's timing language. Until what? The day of Christ. Now here's a question. For the believer, what is the day of Christ that we would want to be sincere and blameless for? Rapture, yes. That's going to happen regardless of how we feel about it. The judgment seat of Christ where all believers are going to be gathered before Him and give an account for what they've done in the body, whether good or evil, and that determination afterwards does not say, well, since you were kind of mean to that person, you go to hell. Praise the Lord, that's not the truth. But it's the idea of, how did you live in trust with the Lord throughout your earthly life and believe His Word? For that, God wants to reward and commend you, and He desires to do so. How do we know that's true? Everybody scroll your finger back up to verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you... Stop. Isn't it God who does the good work in us? Does it in us and through us. Watch this. Will perfect it until when? Notice he's looking to bring all of his good works in us to completion, to a day. So notice how that relates to verse 10. Until the day of Christ. That's where he wants us to be. Why? Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Those are God-pleasing acts which come through, they can only be done through Jesus. Why? Because they're spiritual in nature. They're not physical. They have to be done spiritually. We can't just have good intentions and go out and help somebody, and that's it. Even our good works are filthy rags in front of the Lord. So if they're not spirit-led and truth-endowed, they will matter nothing. They will burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. It's so important for us to understand. Notice, through Jesus Christ, and what do they do? To the, what's the chief end? Exactly. To the glory and praise of God. That's where the end ends up. Why is epignosis so important for us to understand? Because without getting into a deeper knowledge of God, we will never live fruitful lives. Have you ever thought about how you change? I don't need to change. You're my favorite person right now. How do people change? How does that happen? Well, the Spirit does the work. But you've got to get what first? You might know. If I told you guys that there are a whole big line of cockroaches coming in this doorway back here, would that change the way that you're sitting back there, PJ? No, it wouldn't. I have a feeling you'd be doing a dance like ants in your pants, okay? I think that's what's going to happen. That's going to affect the way that we respond. Somebody yells out the word fire and people do what? They run. Receiving knowledge about something is supposed to influence and affect us as something different. That's not a secular way of thinking it. God designed us that way. So when I come into a deeper supernatural unveiling and application of who God is in my life, I can no longer look in my situation, in whatever area I'm dealing with, parenting, family, job, taxes, what have you, recreational free time, it doesn't matter. I can no longer do any of those things unaffected by the truth. If I do, I'm the very definition of a hypocrite. I'm no better than a Pharisee. Because I will put off this, yeah, well, I know that about God, but stop. God desires for it to root deeper and to penetrate the heart. That's where he's going with this situation. Why does that matter? Because there comes a day where Jesus is going to ask you, did you live the best life that I died and rose again to give to you? Or did you say, you know what, man? I need the forgiveness of sins. Thank you so much. And now that I'm in the door, I'm really comfy on this couch. Woo! Good couch, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this couch. Thank you, God, for endless reruns of Matlock in my life. I just binge-watched it, and I've got all the Andy Griffith I could stand. Thank you, Lord. We laugh, but many Christians waste their lives that way. Well, I know about forgiveness of sins. I'm good. You know what? You're better than you were. In fact, you're eternally different. But to think that God doesn't want to do more in our lives is to really be short-sighted about all that He's looking to accomplish. His son died. Not just to pay for sin, but to give us abundant life. You ladies should have been here yesterday at the men's breakfast. Mike gave an excellent, excellent little devotional on what it was to go out there and live a life worth living. To understand what's exactly in front of us and how through Christ we can do those things. How that God's given us a brand new life and we need to live it to the full. Absolutely, amen, all the time. And I'm sitting there going, this fits perfectly with what I'm talking about tonight. Absolutely. Can we really sit back and look at our lives and say, you know what, I am growing in such a deep knowledge of the Lord that no, I can't, be, I can't remain the way that I am. I've got to be different. I've got to be changed. If we're satisfied with our life now, is it a holy satisfaction? Or are we content praying for the knee that's gone wrong? Paul was not able to stop there. Paul understood if anything is going to be enacted in people's lives, I've got to call on God and request of Him that the Holy Spirit would get get involved in order to open up the floodgates of this so that they would grow in a deeper and accurate knowledge of God. One of the greatest problems that we've ever suffered from is we often worship in America a God of our own making. Usually He's got some orange swoopy hair and wears a crazy suit with a red tie. Forget that. That's not God, that's Satan. That's Satan creating an idol for us to fall down to. Don't listen to that garbage. Don't listen to all that mess, because this world is trying to get us to think about everything but Christ. Everything. That is not God's will. God's will is to know him more, and whether the world stands or the world burns, my word does not pass away. That's what Jesus says. So we either bank on that hope, and we grow in a deep knowledge of that. Why? Because when this world goes to hell in a handbasket, you're going to need something to hold on to. It's going to fall. It's going to go away. You're so negative this morning. I didn't come here for negativity. Ta-da! I'm not being negative. I'm trying to say this is the reality. And Jesus is the hope. And Jesus never stopped being the hope. And Jesus always was the hope. We just need to come to deeper realizations of the hope we have in him. you cling fast to Christ? Is this your prayer? Do you pray this for Grace Bible Church? How does this look when it works? Turn with me over one book to Colossians 1. Here's another prayer. That when he comes before the Lord on behalf of the Colossian believers, this same idea, a deep accurate, experiential knowledge of who God is boils up to the surface. Paul's got to pray about it. He's got to ask it. If he prayed it for the Ephesians, Philippians, and the Colossians, I think the Grace Bible Church in Portage, Wisconsin needs a dose of this as well. So notice what he says here. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason also, everything he said in the introduction, you can read that later. Since the day we heard of it, okay, so they have a reputation as well, we have not ceased to pray for you and to there it is, ask that you may be filled with the epignosis. Uh, there we go. The epignosis of his will in all look what it is. Spiritual wisdom. Have we seen wisdom before? Same thing, Sophia. And understanding. You've got to have a deeper experiential jump off the high dive into it. Plunge into it. Understanding of God. To know more and more and more about Him. To get deeper. To recognize so that you can look out at the landscape and say, God doesn't work that way. He works this way. That's how I know that's a lie. and That's how I know that it's true. We've got to have that embedded in us and only the Spirit can reveal that to us and only by wisdom that He gives supernaturally can we apply that to us. Now watch how this works. We see the same type of language transferring over here. Look what happens. So that, here's the reason. You need a knowledge of God with all wisdom. Notice, you will one, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You can't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if you don't have a deeper, experiential, accurate knowledge, first-hand account of him, if there is no epignosis, the walk will be deficient because it will largely be by the flesh. This is the whole reason why James has got something stuck in his crawl in James chapter 4. What's wrong with you people? You ask for this and you don't do this. You ask because you went over your own lust you're not going to receive anything. Don't you know what's going on? I'm like, why is he freaking out? He's making me jittery on the page, Right? good grief. I've only had a little bit this morning. Just getting started, sister. All right. Notice that you'll walk worthy of a manner how you live your life. Look at this. Number two, to please Him in all respects. Everything in life being in submission to Him because I have voluntarily placed myself under His headship just as my Lord Jesus Christ has done in His life. So I'm looking to submit every avenue. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I invest in this? Should I not invest in that? Should I go to this place or not? Guess what? All of it's submitted before the Lord. Lord, what do you want? Boy, that would change life. But it doesn't happen if there's no epignosis. If I don't think differently and deeply and more accurately about God, this never changes and this is never affected. It never happens. So there's got to be the Holy Spirit doing a supernatural revelation on my life that's got to move me forward. Notice it says here, in all respects, and what happens there? Look at this. Bearing fruit. Two underlines, it's worth it. In every good work, righteousness will happen. Fruit will come out of it. The evidence of God supernaturally working through our lives. Why? Because if I have a deep knowledge of God, and if he's blessed me with wisdom in order to apply that, then you cannot help but to have an experience with God that is radiating out to other people. Does everybody smell what I'm stepping in? And can everybody also see, wow, that's really important. This is really something that we probably need to pause for a moment and take very seriously. Why? Because we all live according to the AM, PM, don't we? Doesn't the clock control our day? I showed my wife my schedule the other day in my phone because I got it all mapped out. She started having a panic attack. That stuff rules us. Is there time to get alone with the Lord and ask these things of Jesus? Is there time to tell everything else, I love you? No. And retreat to that closet and close the door and pray where your Father sees in secret and He will reward you in secret. I have no doubt that if we will simply say no to everything else that we think is so vitally important and recognize the only important thing that there ever is is knowing God more and more and more and more and more, that by trusting Him in that way he will actually turn around and reward that. And we can't continue on in life the same because I know you feel the grind and I do too. Something's going to give at some point. We can't just be hoping for the best all this time. There comes a point where you have to stop, call it spiritual timeout, and get alone with God. You have to. So notice what we have. If this takes place, your walk is worthy, you're pleasing to him. You're bearing fruit. Spirit's doing work through you. But then look where it leads to. And increasing, everybody see this? More. Of what? in the? Does anybody want to take a guess what this word is? Does everybody see that these are bookends? When I come to God and I'm asking of Him, Lord, would you please bless Grace Bible Church with all wisdom and understanding and discernment in an epignosis of You, of a deep, accurate, first-hand experiential knowledge, please, Lord, bless us in that way I'm asking of You. We start to walk differently. We start to live lives that are pleasing to Him. We start to bear fruit. And in doing that, by Him supernaturally working through us, we actually continue to grow in a much deeper knowledge of the Lord. So one epignosis leads to another epignosis after the truth has been applied in our situation. We've got to beg the Holy Spirit to do that. Why would we not want to do that? Imagine that prayer. God, I really need less of you in my life. God, I don't want to know too much. We would never say that, would we? But even if it goes unsaid, is that how we approach that relationship? That's something only you can answer, but I want you to think about it because I think that's important. Notice everything that pours out of this bookend epignosis. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Good grief, it sounds like a lot of things come out of the bookend of epignosis. It sounds like a life that's not normally lived, but good grief, is it full of peace? Is it full of steadfastness? Man, that's a great word. Who uses that anymore? Also, let's say some dirty words here. Patience. Anybody? Anybody blown it this weekend? Anybody blown it and looked back and said, boy, where was my patience on that one? You know where it was? Exactly where we let it get. Why? Because I know that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And even though I know this truth here, it has not become epignosis in my life. It is not reverencing God's opinion about what he has to say about if anger were to come forward in me. Why is that? Because I'm not reverencing that and I'm not submitting myself to that. And I'm not praying, Lord, I need greater wisdom and revelation and the deeper knowledge of you regarding an anger situation, an impatient situation, a sadness situation, a depression situation, a dissatisfaction situation. I'm a compulsive spender. I'm a compulsive credit card runner-upper person. I don't know. But in all those areas in our lives where we find struggle and it feels hopeless, have we ever asked God to give us a deeper understanding of Himself so that the value system in my heart and mind change and I can no longer transact life in the same way? Back to Ephesians. Notice in 118 he moves forward. Verse 17 again, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the epignosis of Him. Notice the italics in your Bible. I pray that. That's not in there. The translators added it to to help us understand the prayer. still going on there. But it would say of the epignosis of Him, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The idea of enlightened. We need to know this metaphorically it's the idea of all ignorance on a situation being removed why the normal meaning of it not metaphorically but just a plain meaning is to shine a light on something i'm sure we'd all have very different ways of operating right now if all the lights were shut off in here some of us have our phones out maybe over our bibles or something that might happen we still gather in dark church it's okay but the removal of ignorance about something. But this is something that's drastic for us to understand of how a deeper knowledge of God and this enlightening is connected. And the reason is is because this is the doctrine of illumination, which is understood as the work of the Holy Spirit. It's His work. It's not our work. We ask of Him. We wait upon Him expectantly to be the difference. It's His work in us and to us. The Holy Spirit in bringing believers in Christ to a greater understanding of God through His Word. I don't know what you might think about him, but this is one of those things where you read Tozer, he's got a lot to say about this stuff. A.W. Tozer, the knowledge of the holy, get that? He also has a devotional, 366-day devotional. I don't know what calendar he was looking at, but he's got a 366-day devotional on the Holy Spirit. Read it, it will challenge you. Get it, it will challenge you the enlightenment, I need that. Why? Because I can know it all in my head, but it will never become something rooted in my heart. It will never become a difference maker if the Holy Spirit doesn't do that work. It can remain epignosis, but it might not ever become conviction. And here's what conviction is. Conviction is the exact same thing as faith. It's the idea of you see what should be. And so you move forward with a deep-seated motivator that it must be. It's got to happen. It can no longer go on the way that it was. It's something different that needs to happen, and so everything moves in the life in that direction. You can't see it right now, but you know it's what God wants. I asked my son the other night, I said, we were talking about a situation, I said, what do you think God wants here? Do you think that God thinks that's a good thing? He goes, yeah, that's a good thing. I said, how do you know that? Because it's part and parcel of the person of God. And the more we understand the person of God, the more we understand what is good and right and noble and perfect and all of these things. See, this isn't anything that's different or radical or revolutionary. It's been sitting there this entire time, but the question is are we embracing it to make a difference? So when the Holy Spirit brings this enlightenment, or enlightenment, or sorry, illumination might be this way. You've read a passage of Scripture 50 times, but for some reason on 51, something jumped out and punched you in the nose. You say, God, what just happened? I know this. Yeah, but you know it differently now. Whoop. And that's what he does. Because he wants to get your attention at that moment to change something currently in your life now. Why? Because he's conforming you to the image of his son. And he's grabbing a hold of you, pulling you out of the struggle that Satan has set up. And he's bringing you into a deeper understanding of himself. He's drawing you closer under his wing. See, growing in a knowledge, and epignosis of God, epignosis of God is not something that is Detrimental to our health. It's not something that's going to kill us. It's not theological strychnine. It's a loving Father say, come know me. Come know me. And come know more of me. Because you don't know all of me. And you'll never know all of me. But I'm inviting you to more. I'm inviting you to come deeper with me. So notice he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, notice how central that is, may be enlightened illumination. Here's the so that again. The reason so that you will know what is the, one, hope of his calling, and two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And because of time, we couldn't go any further because there's a third one that's mentioned in verse 19 that we'll get to next time. Let's hit this real quick. Verse 18 has two of three objects in view that we need to be aware of. What are the results of these things? Why would I want to embrace this epignosis? What does God have for me? that He wants to unveil, and with this understanding that is deeper of Him, it begins to change my life because I can't live the same. Number one, it's the hope of the Father's call. What is the hope of the Father's call? Don't get upset if I say no. What's His hope? What is the hope of the Father's call? Well, we'll respond, yes. But we're talking to people who are already believers. What's that? To know Him better? Yes, it's getting there. Here's a question. What has Jesus promised you? Everlasting life. Now I know I asked this and you guys are like, good grief, is He really going to say this again? The answer is yes, I am. How long is everlasting life? Now pause for a second and think about that. Because of what Jesus has done, And because you've come in contact with that message, you will never go to hell. We can't let that old, old story become a stale, stale story. You will never go to hell. And sometimes we sit back and if we're honest, if we're sober for a moment, we go, you know what, but hell's what I deserve. Exactly. And that's when grace came in and said, let it not be so, man. We're going to stop this. We're going to provide a way out. Here's an ark. There's the door. Get in. His name is Jesus. And he paid the price. When he died, the curtain was ripped in two. We find out in Hebrews. The curtain was a symbolization of his flesh being ripped. And why did that matter? Because what the veil was was a door that separated me from God. And when he ripped the veil out of the way, God said, get in here and stay. Get in here and be. Get in here, you're mine. God calls you His. That's the hope. God calls you His forever. God calls you His without any hesitation or reservation. Well, He should hesitate. He should. He doesn't. That's grace. Why? You're in His Son. Ta-da! It's amazing. David Copperville can't do that. You have been liberated from a life of slavery to Satan. Jesus has torn your chains away and said, walk free. But it's scary. Yes, it is. That's why you get to hold his hand while you do it. And he invites you to. So when we talk about the hope of his calling, we're talking about an elevated people in a brand new location, with every spiritual blessing, with no fear of condemnation resting upon them at all. Why? Because it's hope. And the opposite of hope is fear. And where there is hope, there is no what? There is no fear. None. That's the first thing. Second thing. The riches of the glory of the Father's inheritance in the saints. Now, I know that the way that this is phrased in this translation It's almost like the Father has an inheritance in the saints. But that's not how the grammar is set up. The Father has an inheritance set aside for the saints. Not only does He want you to eternally be with you, but He wants to take a whole lot of riches and just shower you in them. Just bless you with them. And it's simply because you've believed in Jesus Christ. If you've responded to the gospel with a conviction, with faith, that that is true, You have been put into a situation of eternal blessing, eternal security with the Lord, and oh, by the way, I've got this vat of riches and this vat of riches. And stand in front of this door. And you just get flooded out with all the love of God. There's nothing but an inheritance waiting. Why would I want to grow in a deeper knowledge of God? Because when life gets hard, I'm going to need this. We might not say it out loud sometimes, but we might look at some situations and we say, it's hopeless. No. No. Thinking amongst ourselves, by ourselves, we would look at it as hopeless. If Satan's sitting on the shoulder whispering in our ear, he's definitely going to point us in the area of hopelessness. But when I pause and think about everything that God has sought to teach me and how I asked Him to get involved in taking me deeper with Him, then it doesn't matter how low it seems that I'm in the hole, I can always see at the top. The light is always there. The hope never moves. Why? It's eternal in nature. It can't. Well, what if I mess it up by what I do? You can't. If you could, you would have already. Instead, Jesus got in there and did all the work and gave it to you freely. Well, what about my part? I love it. If you get an opportunity, watch J. Vernon McGee on YouTube talk about lordship salvation. He says, I don't know what's going on here. God doesn't need my two bits. I love it. And he's as old as all get out, so he can say that kind of stuff. He doesn't need our two bits to get the job done. His son got the job done. And he offers it freely to us. What does that tell you? There's always hope. Why? Because I didn't have anything to do with it except to get rescued. So now it's fully and freely mine. Well, is it really worth pressing on, remaining steadfast? Is it really worth sticking with it? Yes. Our stick with itness needs to be intact. Why? There's an inheritance waiting. God's promised better. This is not all there is. And that's what causes the hopelessness. We can't look at the right hand of the Father where Christ is seated because we're drowning in the circumstances of now. And when the circumstances of now come flooding in, man, they overwhelm us, they blind us. Good grief, what in the world is going on? Recognize that Jesus died to rip those things off of our eyes and to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. Keep looking at me. Don't look to the side. Don't veer to the right or to the left. We see that all throughout Scripture. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. can't think of anywhere that we would be in our lives, any problem that we would ever deal with, any circumstance that we would ever come across, any relationship that might be broken, any struggle that we would ever have, any fear that might try to overcome us, that the Lord Jesus Christ is not answered in His death and His resurrection on our behalf. He is God's answer to every problem. But if I never get beyond a surface level of understanding Him, that will never change my life to lean into Him and to be motivated supernaturally to live for Him. Hope will seem bleak. The inheritance might not seem like that big of a deal. But by asking, praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the epignosis of Him. So, do we pray like Paul? That's a question. That's the only application I have for today. Do we pray like Paul? I don't want to be so presumptive as to assume your answer, but I will say this. Let's start today. Bow your heads with me. Lord God, from what we understand in Your Word thus far, there is much of You to know. There is much of You to respond to. I know there's great and wonderful boundless things you desire to do with every single person in this room and Grace Bible Church as a whole. To live incredible, supernatural lives. You've given us every spiritual blessing. You've given us the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've sealed us for the day of redemption that is to come. But this is a matter of asking, of coming before you and taking our list, our prayer list, moving them all down a notch so that we can put this one in the number one space. So Father, we ask that you would give to us a spirit, a quality, develop in us a characteristic of wisdom and revelation and a deep, accurate knowledge, a true knowledge, Of you, to know you more, to grow in you, to trust you, that we need the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. It's His work. We simply ask you for it, and I pray, God, that our hearts are expected upon you to do this. You've written it in your word, it was applicable to the Ephesians, and only time has changed. It is still for us. So Lord, I praise You for this. I pray that this impacts us. to causes us to constantly petition You with this. And then to wait upon You to make the difference. I pray that in Jesus' name.